Hi, this is Dr. Randy Bach. Today's February 9, 2022. It's actually the 75th wedding anniversary of my uh, late, um, of my late and beloved parents, uh, Sam and Dorothy Bach. So um, thank you for all you did. Uh, they worked together. Uh, they had a wonderful life uh, together. My mom lived on quite a number of years after that. Um, <clears throat> And uh, she was an amazing woman. I remember fondly my dad. He left us much earlier. Uh, but they were always devoted to each other. And uh, my mother carried his memory on uh, for a long time uh, with a full life thereafter. So uh, uh, sweet thoughts to both of you in heaven uh, together. And thank you for all the wonderful things you did for me um, and my brothers. <laughs> uh, we had one brother uh, who lived before any of us. And uh, he died at a young age of a neuroblastoma. Um, I'll give you this one quick anecdote, uh, uh, perhaps if it holds interest uh, for you as it does for me. Um, they they had this one child, and uh, they didn't move on to other children because he was ill. Um, and they couldn't do anything for him at that uh, time. And even today, it's a, a deadly illness. Uh, my father. Uh, you know, managed to cope. And, and this is always a big reason why um, uh, couples broke up um, or had divorce. Uh, you know, to have the death of a, of, of a child, a first child is, is devastating. Uh, they stayed together at the funeral. Uh, my mother's aunt um, uh, came up to my dad and said, I know I know what caused that illness. You know, his, his stomach had a cancer. Uh, she was mischaracterizing it. And it's because you had him in a car seat. Uh, they had been driving around in very rudimentary car seat in the early 1950s, um, just a bunch of pipes and whatnot. You would never see one in a car like that today. Uh, my, my dad was a very mild-mannered guy, um, erudite and thoughtful. And apparently at this moment, he, he was ready to, uh, you know, go at her. He, he was so devastated. Um, and he was, I guess, never really got over the ignorance of that comment. And in some way to impute um, guilt on their part that they were, you know, had some way done in their son by giving him the, the gift of, of letting him go around and, and see the world in the short uh, number of years that he had, uh, three, three and a half. Um, I took that message as uh, kind of an intolerance for misinformation. And misinformation is, is actually mislabeled quite a bit and is applied uh, falsely. Uh, these days, for oftentimes the truth, uh, the hers comment wasn't the truth, but I think it, uh, my dad, not just from this incident, but just in general, always instilled in me and uh, my brothers uh, to find the truth and to find uh, what actually happened and don't be satisfied with pat answers. And I think it was that, you know, story didn't really resonate with me because I heard it when I was so young. Um, but in retrospect, I mean, I, I, I've taken that as a, as a you know, bit of a, um, you know, an ethos, a challenge uh, to carry on and look for the actual facts. It's not enough to say things, uh, the first thing that comes into your head or belief and so forth when, when um, you know, grave, uh, uh, you know, emotion um, and the, the, the turning of lives one way or another uh, hold in the balance. Anyway, so <clears throat> I apologize for that long introduction, but today is a, an interesting day. Uh, for me, my mom always thought, you know, that, I mean, I guess she wondered why, you know, why February, why get married in February? It was uh, in New York City. It was cold. Uh, they had a lot of snow around that time, and they had uh, much more uh, trouble getting around the streets. Um, 
than perhaps we do now. Uh, the, the snow plows were not as developed and so forth. Um, but you know, my dad and frankly, all of my brothers, other potential suitors had gone away to World War II and um, <clears throat> right in my mom's prime uh, when you know, people married earlier um, and more frequently back uh, in the uh, you know, late 1930s, early 1940s. And my mom had to take a, a break along with the rest of the world uh, for World War II. And my dad was one of the fortunate ones who came back. And so they married in 1947 after a little hiatus of, uh, I guess, my mom's pick and choosing, picking and choosing whom she might um, <coughs> choose to marry from the, the uh, bunch of suitors that she had had at the time. She was a very vivacious and uh, charming uh, um, young woman from what I understand. Uh, she was talented, she's artistic and all that kind of stuff. And uh, things were a little bit different. If you wanna get a real window on that world, I recommend this book by uh, Herman Wolk, uh, um, Marjorie Morningstar. Uh, it's really an excellent view of the uh, kind of the dating scene and how people carried uh, social relationships back then. Um, and you know, it's a marvel he's a marvelous writer. He wrote The Winds of War and uh, the Kane Mutiny and so forth. So uh, anyway, book reviews, my, my parents' anniversary, uh, memories, um, and search for the truth. So um, <clears throat> I am not gonna uh, give my usual uh, talk uh, for a Wednesday evening as part of the coronavirus conversation. In part, I'm not quite fully talked out, but I had an excellent conversation a couple of days ago with uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya uh, from Stanford an epidemiologist, economist, and physician uh, who, uh, along with Sunitra Gupta and uh, Martin Kuldorf uh, uh, from Oxford and Harvard respectively, authored the uh, Great Barrington Declaration in um, the fall of 2020, uh, which uh, emphasized focused protection, um, letting society as a whole open up and focusing our protection on those uh, most vulnerable, basically the elderly and the infirm. And, uh, you know, it's very fascinating to me that uh, Drs. Collins and Fauci, uh, the NIH and NIAID, um, were recently uncovered through uh, Freedom of Information Act to have uh, pilloried um, <coughs> those um, eminent uh, researchers and uh, physicians and uh, done everything they could to um, cast focused protection as um, a misinformation, when in fact, of course, it isn't, it wasn't. Um, and was very valuable. Uh, they uh, wanted to control the narrative. Uh, I guess they succeeded to varying extents. I frankly think it's criminal to do what they did uh, from their uh, perches in government. So I, I highly recommend you go see uh, my other interview. Um, and if you need a link, I'm happy to provide it. Um, but I, I think that you should, uh, uh, you know, you'll probably get a lot of amazing information from Dr. Bhattacharya. And he's one of the brave um, soldiers out there uh, in the epidemiologic sense. Uh, if in fact this is epidemiologic war in one way or another, or the war for uh, our hearts and souls and our freedoms. Um, <clears throat> just as a you know, mild shout out uh, or honk, uh, you know, our, our uh, um, brothers up in uh, Canada, um, aka America's hat, <laughs> I joke. I know I have uh, Canadian in-laws and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so I love them. Um, but frankly, most of them are on the side opposite of the truckers who are uh, working towards getting their freedoms back. And it's a sadness uh, that that has to be the case, that we have to work extracurricularly to get those things that are granted to us by God and, uh, you know, held in proxy by certain of our governments. Um, so part of my um, 
you know, speechifying over the weeks has been that there's a meta virus. There's not just the coronavirus, but there's another virus, which is uh, governance and the way it can be manipulated. And, uh, you know, what are the weaknesses? I mean, this coronavirus has shown the weaknesses in our information system and our governmental system. And I think the parliamentary countries have done worse. Uh, Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand have done worse than those with uh, presidential um, <coughs> um, constitutional uh, republic aspect uh, because parliament um, is essentially a you know a tyranny of the majority even if it's your majority uh, and it's not necessarily a full tyranny you may be able to be turned over over time uh, there's there's far more uh, concentrated power in a parliamentary system than in a constitutional republic which reserves rights oftentimes to the individual states and between the various branches of government whether it's judicial executive and legislative anyway uh, without doing too much civics there um, you know, I think it's very important to keep an eye out uh, for what's going on there because hopefully our freedoms will come back, but they have to be worked for. They have to be earned. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, I think, said it's a it's a republic um, if you can keep it. And referring to our country and, you know, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, all those things are pieces of paper. They're on parchment. And uh, we like to think that they are operative as law, but they uh, sometimes are, are observed in the breach. Uh, people can get around things. They'll get around things, uh, you know, like water. Um, people oftentimes will find the lowest level and move uh, straight ahead in that regard. Um, anyway, so the, the topic of today's talk, to finally get to it, um, is uh, something I've been working on. I'm, I'm putting on the, the basically the capstone or the keystone or the last chapter, the epilogue of uh, my book, Overturning Zika. Uh, which is coming out shortly, um, in the next few weeks, maybe a month or so. I'm trying to do a push in Brazil first. But I, I felt like it needed a chapter on the, the great missing Zika vaccine. Um, and our experience with COVID uh, for the vaccine, um, you know, has at least one positive, that that one was created. Um, you know, there's those T-shirts, uh, you know, my parents went to Las Vegas and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Well, for Zika, uh, which ostensibly caused microcephaly in um, um, babies who whose mothers had experienced the uh, infection in the first trimester, um, uh, uh, they were just told, you know, not, never to have kids until we have a vaccine. Um, and just kind of wait. And a lot of um, government ministers uh, throughout the uh, Americas, uh, not here per se, except possibly in Puerto Rico, um, and there was some mention there, we're told just to stop having kids. That's the answer. And we'll get a vaccine and you sit tight. And when that comes around, we'll vaccinate everybody. And then you can go back to having kids. Um, so that I, I thought was an amazing uh, incident uh, right then and there. I mean, it's it's really never been uh, mentioned from public health officials to stop having children. Um, you know, I mean, having children uh, as above, you know, my parents, is that's how we got here. I be, wouldn't be talking to you if somebody hadn't had kids. And presumably nobody's going to be talking to anybody else unless we uh, carry on the race. Um, so, you know, we have, we're here to produce. We're also here to reproduce. Um, and uh, so I thought I'd just kind of go over that chapter. I'm not going to read it word for word, but you can take a look at it and I'm going to add it to the stream uh, now. So I think there's some really instructive aspects about the um, um, Zika vaccine. Um, and I'll just pull it up and maybe breeze through it a little bit. And if you have any interest uh, in that or the book, let me know. Um, and again, for our real coronavirus conversation, I recommend you uh, look at my um, piece from a couple of days ago with Jay Bhattacharya. Um, so let me get on my reading glasses here. Um, <clears throat> the broken promise of the Zika vaccine, women's lives in limbo. Uh, the vaccine story we know 
uh, by heart is COVID-19. I'm not going to really go over that too much, but uh, just to highlight um, uh, for uh, Zika microcephaly, um, and again, I, I think, you know, Zika microcephaly has disappeared uh, since 2015, 2016. Uh, I don't think it was all that to begin with, but nobody knows, nobody knew about that. Nobody knows my theory, frankly, and everyone in the public health establishment is still, you know, hewing to the theory that um, that Zika microcephaly was real. And so they're working under the threat that this can come back anytime. Um, and in the meanwhile, uh, like I said here, government ministers in various countries, Colombia, El Salvador, Jamaica, parts of Brazil, uh, told people to stop having kids until a vaccine could be developed, at least in part. Uh, hundreds of thousands of women probably listened because the birth rate did decline uh, throughout the Americas and in Brazil in particular. Uh, but now it's 2022, uh, seven years later, and there's been no Zika vaccine. Um, Part of that reason is, is you know, clearly it disappeared. So maybe there was a little bit less push, less emphasis on creating a vaccine. Um, and so, you know, public health specialists who, you know, pretty much see them as generals uh, in, epi in an epidemiologic war, uh, they don't want to start a vaccine trial uh, with no upside. If nobody's getting sick uh, from the illness, um, you know, there's only going to be vaccine problems and side effects and no benefit. And that can give vaccines a bad name. So, um, you know, a lot of the public health uh, aspect, you know, the, the the root word of public health is the same as the root word for politics. And I think there's a political aspect, a political equation. Uh, that being said, um, they uh, still, you know, managed to do things poorly. And we're going to get to that in a second. So in comparison, you know, however you feel about the vaccine, uh, there was a promise of a vaccine. It was delivered for COVID, that is. So, you know, I'm actually quite a fan of Operation Warp Speed. I think it's, um, you know, one of uh, Donald Trump's uh, greatest achievements. And however you feel about vaccine mandates and, and the vaccine itself and whether it still is pertinent uh, in, in uh, 2021 and 2022, uh, once the vaccine has, you know, once the virus itself has moved on from the ancestral version, you know, I, I personally don't think it has same, the same efficacy and, and power and force and usefulness as it did as if we could have had it, you know, in 2019 before people got sick. That would have been the best, like a flu shot. You get it beforehand. But even so, I think it's, you know, pretty much helped with uh, the ancestral version and to a lesser extent, the following uh, alpha, beta, delta strains. I think Omicron is too far away from the original version to uh, really be usefully covered by the uh, ancestral vaccine. And I, I, I've covered this before, you know, we've moved on from certain monoclonal antibodies, monoclonal antibodies as treatment once they age out. And we haven't done that with the, with the vaccine for some reason. But anyway, put, but either way, um, you know, the, the, the Operation Warp Speed, the COVID-19 vaccine was uh, an unprecedented tour de force. It combined the speed innovation central to business with the funding uh, bureaucratic reach and lifting of liability uh, needed from government. So th this, you know, is is one of the um, most amazing things ever happened. The kind of the quite, it's almost the Manhattan Project of, of vaccines and uh, everyone should be applauded, uh, you know, in, it, in its rollout, especially considering that it was a novel vaccine mecha mechanism, you know, encapsulating uh, mRNA within a lip lipid nanoparticle shell. Um, so, you know, the, in business, you want to under-promise and over-deliver. Um, I, I think that, you know, you, you set reasonable expectations, then knock them out of the park. Um, and while this hasn't quite happened with the COVID-19 vaccine, um, you know, the, the actual production of it did do that. Uh, people were promised, you know, that with that with COVID-19 vaccine, the lockdowns and restrictions would disappear, they'd be returned to normalcy. Uh, we haven't received that. That's 
really a problem more with government, uh, I think, than the vaccine itself. Um, I have a, a, a friend who's very frustrated by this, a very bright guy, a computer scientist, and, uh, you know, he says he's been thraxed, I mean, triply vaccinated, and people in Israel are being quadruply vaccinated, and he still got Omicron. I think this is really kind of a category error, and I, I've mentioned it over here, um, <clears throat> the things I've been talking about before, that uh, the, the current um, versions are not covered by the, you know, the vaccine that's really referring to a virus that's more than two years old. Um, at any rate, so, so that's COVID-19. We're all familiar with that. Um, but what about uh, the Zika uh, vaccine? Again, nobody's really heard of it because it, it never came into production. Uh, so I have, uh, you know, like the little, little engine that could. I have the little uh, Zika vaccine engine that couldn't. Um, and this, you know, the COVID-19 story is obviously one of imperfection because it involves humans. Uh, but, but the Zika vaccine situation actually is worse. Um, and this is an article, this is from an article in The Atlantic, A Country Without Babies, and I'm not going to read the whole quote, but it goes over some of the things I mentioned before, um, <clears throat> that people were, you know, told to stop having kids. Um, and there's some hypothetical questions here at the bottom. Uh, if you heard that message, would you take it seriously? Uh, what would what would society look like, you know, with no kids and, and a depleted younger generation unable to support older ones down the road 5, 10, 25 years later? Um this has happened to a certain extent in the places that listened. Um, you know, still there are hundreds of millions of women throughout the tropics um, of reproductive age interest with the future of their families at risk. And they're owed, you know, either the vaccine reward or they should be told that, you know, they should stop waiting or perhaps that Zika, you know, microcephaly may not have been an actual thing since it never seemed to have recurred once people were looking at it more carefully. Um, there was enough science uh, it's not that long ago, uh, 2015, 2016, uh, basically this, the same virus, um, excuse me, vaccine um, of capabilities we had um, in 2019, 2020 existed then. Um, and frankly, one of the vaccine types was a, a similar mRNA vaccine. It was uh, proposed by Moderna and they might still do one later on. We'll get to that. And there had been um, existing uh, vaccines that could help. Uh, Dengvaxia, um, which is a vaccine for dengue, as you might uh, uh, imagine, uh, had started in 2009. And Zika and vaccine are pretty much twins. Um, excuse me, Zika and dengue are pretty much twin um, um, viruses. They, they share, uh, I think it's mentioned later on here, but they share about 60% of the same genome and they're indistinguishable physically. Um, it, Zika, if it does cause any human illness, uh, causes a mild version of dengue. It may or may not actually do that, but we'll leave it at there. Um, <clears throat> there was some problem with uh, dengvaxia um, because um, uh, people thought that there was, uh, um, you know, more potentially more uh, severe disease uh, if you were vaccinated and got reinfected. Um, so there was, you know, there was the capability of making the dengue vaccine equally. They could have made Zika vaccine. It's pretty much the same thing, same virus. They're in the same family, the both flower viruses, and they're, again, uh, almost the same genome. So there's all this excitement when Zika, you know, was a thing in, in 2015 and 2016. And if you just look on YouTube, here's some, some videos uh, about making a Zika vaccine, developing Zika vaccine, human trials for Zika vaccine are going to begin. But these are from 2016 and into 2017. And things kind of like stalled. Uh, we have our friend here again, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci in the New England Journal, considerations for developing a 
uh, Zika virus vaccine. Uh, but all these were like your New Year's, New Year's resolutions. You know, you, you make them and then you break them as uh, time moves on. Uh, uh, Sanofi, which made the dengue vaccine, uh, here's uh, the chief scientific officer uh, talking about it. Uh, he was very optimistic. He, he thought Zika qualified as something that was a big enough problem for you to kind of pull the trigger um, um, for a vaccine. And then he says here that, uh, you know, Zika, um, you know, Sanofi should be able to do it really quickly because they have uh, dengue already on the market. And as I said here, he mentions uh, that the, the Zika and dengue are very, very similar, 60% uh, genetic similarity. Um, and Dr. Fauci is optimistic as well. In 2016, uh, we're going to get on this right away, basically by the end of that year. And then phase two trials did begin at a number of sites. There was, you know, a billion, a billion dollars had been approved by the U.S. Uh, Congress, and there was a lot of research money to go around. Um, so they were going to do this in the United States and certain tropical countries in the Americas. Um, and uh, and then what happened? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm... <clears throat> I believe this is uh, Dr. Fauci again. I'm totally intent on getting this vaccine to the point where it could be usable. It's a high priori priority. Um, and into 2017, there were still a lot of, I don't know if you can see this chart here. I'm not going to go into detail, but there were, you know, uh, 10, uh, you know, live clinical studies of vaccine types. And they all differed from one type to another, including the mRNA type. Um, but then what happened? Uh, I don't know. Um, it's a it's a funny thing. They they had at the end of 2016, uh, we they spent I don't know, gosh, it looks like a million dollars to get a bunch of bioethics uh, ethicists together, and they produced this huge white paper. I think it's about 80 pages or something like that um, in February 2017 about the ethics of uh, using and uh, of doing the research for a Zika vaccine. They, you know, it, over time, you know, there have been experiments um, with uh, um, you know treatments involving poor patients. And the Tuskegee experiment is an example, is one I mentioned here. Um, um, they didn't want to duplicate where it looks as if you're taking advantage of a poor, uh, less educated population. So they did this all ethical study and they pointed out that, you know, finding uh, yellow fever um, and the experimentation in Cuba had done very, you know, had been done well ethically. But more recently in the 1940s, uh, similar to the Tuskegee experiment, there was one in Guatemala, uh, which had failed to obtain the informed consent of the research subjects and so forth. And um, uh, so, so they, they were you know, kind of chewing on this question whether uh, a Zika vaccine trial should purposefully inf infect individuals, a so-called controlled human infection model or CHIM. Uh, and the answer was no. Uh, where's the answer here? This is kind of the, the key page. I've made the highlights and the red marks, uh, the ethical considerations for Zika virus human challenge trials. And so the real question is, can a Zika virus human, uh, human challenge trial be ethically justified? That is to give people Zika if they didn't have Zika. And they come up with the answer, no, don't do that. Um, uh, and, and yet, and yet when, when Zika disappeared, uh, that should have been frankly, reasons just to kind of shelve the whole thing and take away the emergency status. Um, and so beyond everyone's wildest hopes and dreams, um, you know, Zika disappeared. Uh, so what did they do instead? Did they say, you know, declare victory and, and, and move on? No, they, they, they have this headline here in science is massive Zika vaccine trial struggles. Uh, researchers revive plan to intentionally infect humans. The highlight here is mine. 
the disappearance of Zika in the Americas makes it tough for the $110 million trial to evaluate um, worth of the vaccine candidate. So you have $110 million, as Dr. Fauci mentions here. Um, right now, there are no infections and certainly not enough to even think about an efficacy signal at this point, says Dr. Fauci. So ideally, you would just step away. And, and you know, what I say here, you know, declare victory and gone home. Um, but in, in fact, uh, they didn't. Um, you know, on the one hand, a Brazilian um, investigator, part associated, he said, it's a good dilemma because we don't have Zeke anymore, uh, but it's a dilemma. Everybody's concerned about it. It's a lot of investment. So I, I appreciate they, you know, understand money's been spent and they don't want money to be spent um, purposely, purposelessly. But this falls into what I call the sunk cost fallacy. And here's an explanation. It's a cute little cartoon and you can go over this. Um, but, you know, the more our past investment, the harder it is to abandon it. We ignore the promise of, of a better experience in the future by making an attempt to, re, to, to negate a loss in the past. In other words, our past investments over influence our current decisions. Um, so they didn't know when it's going to happen again, uh, but they wanted to go ahead and do it. Uh, so these are a couple of the doctors, uh, Dr. Anna Durbin out of Johns Hopkins. Um, uh, she felt that avoiding infecting humans would be a great setback. If we had been allowed to go forward, we'd know today which vaccines look good. So she's not happy about that. And she turned to the bioethicists to try to you know, undo their ethics report. And you can see here, this is actually from the same science article, Zika's Vanishing Act. And this is January, 2016. But once they really looked at microcephaly better um, and, and they looked at Zika, they had better testing, everything disappeared in North America and South America. And these are really negligible numbers considering what they thought the epidemic was. And these continue out to this day, pr pretty much at zero every year after. The, the head bioethicist with the chair of this report, Dr. Seema Shah, uh, she actually turned what I think she turned the ethics report on head. She said right now in, in the 2018, when there's frankly, it's over here, there's no Zika going on. She says there's a compelling reason to conduct a human challenge trial now. The details are complicated and it's important to have a rigorous review. So I think the second sentence is just gobbledygook, cover your butt uh, and so forth. But Dr. Fauci nonetheless echoes it. Um, if they're careful, um, uh, we have no problems supporting a human infection model, um, CHIM. Zika was a very ominous threat just a couple of years ago, and there's certainly a possibility it's going to come back. It's a risk that you'll spend this money and never use the vaccine, but balancing the importance of this infection and the impact it could have, we felt it was a good decision to move, move ahead. And I would be happy, or as in my Fauci voice, and I would be happy to defend that anywhere. Um, according to this 2018 article, uh, Dr. Durbin hopes to start injecting Zika virus into people immunized with a vaccine in 2019. So it's kind of like either one or the other. Either this is so dangerous uh, that you know we should really be aware of it, or we're going to eject people in it. I think it, you undercut the whole ethical argument if, if the thing has disappeared and you still want to inject people with it because you want to have the vaccine. I don't think this was about helping people anymore. And frankly, I think it has shades more of the Tuskegee experiment of the Guatemala experience than it does of the Walter Reed positive experience in Cuba uh, a century ago. Um, so this is, you know, for, I, I think pretty, pretty much I'm, pr I'm fairly sure this didn't come to pass. I've actually not, you know, found a, a firm conclusion. I'm going to send a letter to doctors uh, Durbin and Shaw and ask them this. But um, 
you know, I don't think they actually did wind up injecting people. Um, but to get to my point, if the, the major thesis of my book, Overturning Zika, is true, then there should never be any future worries of my Zika microcephaly vaccine or not. If, if, if it does somehow, if I'm wrong, and it does somehow uh, reappear having been real in the first place, um, technology has far improved in the meanwhile, and amping up for a vaccine would take place in its own due course much more rapidly than previously. The overall good news from COVID-19 is that mRNA vaccines can be made fairly quickly once the proper coding has been done. And the CEO of Moderna uh, pretty much echoes this. This is, he said, uh, you know, within the last year, uh, he's hoping to uh, get a Zika uh, vaccine to market and he could do an mRNA version. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's some instructive things uh, here. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I'm probably just going to end with a, a quick uh, photo album uh, of some of the thoughts that I had this last week uh, via memes. Uh, this is uh, comparing, you know, I mean, you could just kind of maybe go over the countries and see which ones, uh, how well they do as parliamentary republics versus uh, constitutional uh, republics or semi-presidential. And, uh, you know, I think Sweden did the best in Europe um, in maintaining personal freedoms. Um, uh, this is a, a quote from Frederick Hayek, um, The Road to Serfdom. And it's a depressing aspect um, that scientists and scholars um, uh, you know, present them, put themselves readily at the service of the new rulers. And it's one of the most depressing and shameful spectacles in the whole history um, uh, of the rise and fall of national socialism. Um, anyway, I think you should uh, you know, take a look at that quote. You can pause. Um, what else we got here? Uh, uh, you can just take a look at these. I think they speak for themselves. Um, Here's Neil Young fans trying to delete Spotify. That's a whole other uh, episode from last week. Um, Trudeau demands truckers get vaccinated like he did so they don't catch COVID like he did. I think he recently used COVID as a, um, an excuse uh, to get away from uh, talking with the truckers. Um, anyway, so I, I think I'm going to stop here and I uh, wish you a wonderful week in COVID and all other things. And uh, may you stay healthy, happy and exert your uh, will. Um, so that uh, we can uh, maintain free, not just from COVID, but free in general. And so uh, thank you so much for spending the time with me tonight. If you're curious about anything Zika, uh, please let me know. I'll try to put you on my mailing list for the uh, Zika book 